Let's jump into the message today. This is week number two of the Holy Spirit, and I'm so excited, uh, honestly, about today's message. It, it, it's just, it, it feels so natural to me. Like, I don't feel like I had to work very hard this week because I'm just talking about my best friend. And I get to share with you about him and how powerful he is in my life. And, and let me start by asking a question. How many guys in our church have beautiful comforters and, and decorative, gorgeous-looking pillows at home that you never get to use. Like, they're, they're be- like you go to your, your bedroom in the afternoon, and it looks like something out of a magazine shoot, and it looks like so appealing and inviting, and there's these beautiful pillows and, and comforters. And then you go up there at night to go to bed, and everything is gone. Like, it just disappears. Like, am I the only one? Am I the only guy that experiences that at home? Uh, you know, where you got the, you know, because what we learn right away as guys is there are things in our house that are simply for decoration. Like, you don't get to use them at all, as comfortable as they may appear to be, and as beautiful as they may appear to be. They are not for use. They are simply there to make the place look good. And and one of those is comforters. You know, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit a comforter. And so many times I think we treat the Holy Spirit the same way. You know, we look at the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and he's this beautiful decoration to the Bible, and he's this, you know, this amazing, you know, person we get to study about in Scripture, yet so few of us actually enjoy him. So few of us get the comfort that he provides because we're not in the relationship with them that we were created to be. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. Let's let's go to John chapter 14. Um, Here's the thing about John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Interesting fact, for those of you that have ever seen the Leonardo da Vinci painting, The Last Supper, this is a record of the conversation they had at the dinner table. This is the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples at the Last Supper. It's John 14, 15, and 16. That's the recorded conversation. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That's the Greek word parakletos. We'll talk about that in a moment. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, is a person. He is not an it He's not some mystical essence or force. He is a person. And when you study the Bible, you'll discover the Holy Spirit has a mind, has a will, has an emotions. He is the third part of the Trinity. We, we just sang the song, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God, three in one. The Holy Spirit is actually a person and a part of God and, and somebody that we can relate to who leads in all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. Now, that's a little confusing at first. All Jesus is trying to say is the resurrection hasn't happened yet. You know, salvation has not come yet because I haven't died on the cross. At this point in history, they're still living under the old covenant, the Old Testament, Because it wasn't until Jesus is resurrected from the dead that he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, that most theologians believe the new covenant was established where we are now saved by grace. So at this point in history, the Holy Spirit's working with them, but not inside of them. That's why Paul says God set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
Basically meaning, when you give your life to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, when you become a Christian, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He is the deposit that God gives, guaranteeing what is to come. So the Spirit of God living inside of us. But what I want to talk about for a moment is that Greek word parakletos. Parakletos, it could be translated as advocate, which, which we read a few minutes ago. Other translations and places in the Bible is translated as comforter. We talked about the comforter that oftentimes is a decoration, but not something we get to enjoy. And too often we've made the Holy Spirit a decoration to the Christian life, but not really somebody we enjoy or helper. And so the big question today is what does he help with? If the Holy Spirit is this advocate, if he's this comforter, if he's this helper, how does he help? So what I titled the message today is Friends with Benefits. I want to talk about being friends with benefits because the truth is when you become friends with the Holy Spirit, there are incredible benefits. There are amazing benefits to this friendship that that are are so incredible. And and there's a lot of them in Scripture. And so what I'm going to do is give you my top five. I'm going to give you my five favorite benefits of being friends with the Holy Spirit, the five things that I just love about my friendship with the Holy Spirit. Here's number one. He comforts us. He comforts us. I love the fact that when I'm going through a challenge or a trial or just a dark season of life, the Holy Spirit just can kind of put his arms around you and and, and maybe not physically in a way that you can see, but you can feel him put his arms around you and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. You're going to be all right. You're not alone. I'm with you. We're, we're going to, and that is so important for so many people, especially facing the challenges we have in life. Because we have people facing severe medical challenges and marriage issues and financial and job issues that it's nice to have somebody that will comfort you in the middle of challenges of life. And, and here's what Paul says. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that, so that, so that. You have to realize as a follower of Christ, there is a so that attached to your life. See, a lot of us, we get so short-sighted and we think when Satan is attacking us, it's just about us. No, Satan's attacking you to hurt people around you too. And sometimes we think what God's doing in our life is just about us. No, God's doing it in you so that you can be a blessing to others. There is a so that attached to our life as followers of Jesus. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That's the point. That's the goal. That's why I'm so passionate about small groups. See, you may be looking at yourself thinking, I don't really need a small group. My life is together. I'm not you know, depressed, and I don't have any major issues or addictions going on. I've got a good job and a stable marriage. I don't really need a small group. Yeah, but somebody may need you. See, it's not just about you. There's a so that attached to your life. And there may be somebody going to a small group this semester that needs what you have. Like God has done something for you. God has helped you. God has blessed you. God has comforted you. God has gotten you through different trials in life. And now it's time for you to take what God has done for you and comfort someone else and help someone else and encourage someone else. And so I want you to consider small groups this semester, not just because you need to receive something. I want you to understand there's a so that attached to your life. And there are people who need to receive from you. There are things that you have that only you can comfort others with because God has done it for you. So he comforts us. Here's another benefit of being friends with the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He'll teach us. 
And I gave you three subpoints here for three ways that he teaches. First is he'll bring all things to your mind. Scripture says, when the Father sent the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. That's one of the reasons the disciples could write the gospel so accurately, is the Holy Spirit brought things to their memory. And that is such a gift that we have, because the Holy Spirit is an expert on every single subject. And to have somebody that will bring things to your mind. There's times that you've heard a message before. You've read scripture. You've studied the Bible. And then later on in life when you really, really need what you heard or you listened to, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind at just the right time. There's times I've counseled people. There's times you've counseled people. And, and, and all of a sudden in the middle of counseling, something comes to your mind and you share it with them. And they look at you and say, that was exactly what I needed to hear. It's because the Holy Spirit reminded you of it. And can I say, not only will the Holy Spirit remind you of what to say, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what not to say, which is an incredible value to those married people out here. There's so many times where I've gone to say something to my wife and the Holy Spirit would remind me, it didn't go well when you said that last time. I wouldn't say that again. Can I say the Holy Spirit's been the biggest asset to my marriage? I mean, he, is, he helps me so much because I have a tendency where I'll put my foot in my mouth. You know, I'll say dumb things at times. And having a friendship with the Holy Spirit to remind me what to say and remind me what not to say is so incredibly valued. So he teaches us by reminding us. He'll also guide you in all truth. The scripture says when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, meaning you can live a life free of deception. Which is huge because so many people are crippled by a false perception of who they are. I'm too fat. I'm too this. I'm, I'm not smart. I'm dumb. I'm, I'm worthless. And all of that comes from is believing a lie. You simply believe Satan's lie about who you are instead of believing the truth. Well, when you develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, he helps you break the lies of Satan. He is the father of lies so that you can believe the truth about who you are. This is incredibly valuable in business. How many of you have gotten into, and don't raise your hand, but you've gotten into business situations or partnerships or arrangements or deals with somebody that didn't tell you the whole truth and it ended up costing you? You found out something later. They hid something from you. They, they prevented you from seeing something. And all of a sudden, it's starting to cost you dearly. And you thought, I wish I would have known the full picture before I signed on the dotted line. Well, can I tell you, we have businessmen in our church and businesswomen in our church who have an incredible relationship with the Holy Spirit. And they have told me there have been times where in the middle of a deal, everything on paper looks right. and Everything looks like it makes sense and it's going to be lucrative. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will quicken their heart that they need to walk away, that there's something there that's not right. There's something they can't see. They're not seeing the full picture and they walk away and it doesn't make any sense until a couple months later when the person they were going to be in business with is now on the front page of the newspaper for some things that they shouldn't have been doing. And they would have been tied into the whole mess if they would have signed. Can I say there's value to having somebody that will guide you into truth, somebody that will quicken you when, when, when there's, there's deception going on and some things that, that just to know I need to walk away right now. So he'll guide us in truth. He'll also tell you things to come. He'll tell you things to come. It says he will tell you about the future. How many of you have ever thought, I wish I could have seen that coming? Like I would have made a completely different decision if I would have saw 
that coming. Well, there's incredible benefit to, and I'm not saying he's going to give you like the lottery ticket number. I'm not saying stuff like that, but there's value to, to sing into the future. Let me, let me tell you one story. Demas Shakarian, incredible man of God, founded Full Gospel Businessman. He's now gone home to be with the Lord. Well, about 70 years ago, he was a businessman in Los Angeles. He had a meeting in Palm Springs. And after his meeting, he had to head back to LA for another meeting. So he's driving to Los Angeles. He's, he, he's facing traffic. He's a little bit late. And he's on the freeway. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit tells him to exit here. Well, he's in the middle of nowhere. It makes no sense to him. He's like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing. It's a dirt road. But he, he knows the voice of the Holy Spirit. So he, so he exits the freeway, gets on this dirt road, drives to the road ends, and he's up on this little hill. So he gets out of his car. He's sitting on his car, and he's, and he's what? what? What do you want, God? I mean, he's being kind of obnoxious with the Holy Spirit. Just, you know, he's in a rush, and the Holy Spirit told him that, you know, you know, disrupted his day. And now he's sitting on his car in the middle of nowhere, and he can't figure out why. And the Holy Spirit's not saying anything. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gives him a vision of the future. He's looking at this valley, and he has this vision of the future. He sees a bank, and he sees a post office. He sees a grocery store. He sees homes, and he sees a little town in a main street. And that was it. The Holy Spirit just gave him a vision of the future. Well, as a businessman, he knew exactly what that meant. So he went out to every farmer in the area and to every you know, landowner, and he bought up all of the land for pennies on the dollar. Well, as the city of Los Angeles grew and expanded, he sold it off piece by piece and made a fortune. And what he purchased was the city of Fontana, California, years before it was ever developed or established. All because, and again, let me say, the Holy Spirit is not a lottery ticket. I'm talking about a friendship. But I'm telling you, there are benefits to this friendship. Here's another area. He'll give us power. He'll give us power. And I get three sub points for this one too. First off, power to overcome sin. Some of you have been struggling with things in your life and, and you desperately need freedom. You desperately need those things broken in your life. Being in relationship with the Holy Spirit gives you power. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Become friends. Build that friendship. Build that relationship. Talk to him. Communicate with him. Let him guide you and, and direct you. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Do you know why God hates sin? You know, a lot of times he's like, God hates sin. God hates sin. Do you know why God hates sin? God hates sin because sin hurts people and God loves people. Sin hurts. Sin has consequences. Sin may feel right for a season and feel good for a season, but in the end, it's going to lead to misery. It's going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to bondage. I love the way Solomon says it in Proverbs. There is a way that appears to be right. There's a way that, that we know better. Like, this is right. This is 2016. That's old-fashioned. That's archaic. That was a long time ago. We're smarter now. We've progressed since then. There's a way that seems right, but unfortunately, it ends in death. And this is so important. Solomon said it twice verbatim in the book of Proverbs in chapter 14 and chapter 16, how important it was. Well, being in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it like this, you shall know the truth. Well, the Holy Spirit is truth. He is the spirit of truth, the Bible says. The word know Jesus uses the Greek word gnosko, which means intimate relationship. You will be in intimate relationship with the spirit of truth, and that will set you free. Like freedom can be found in relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Second area of power is it gives you power to let go of your past. So many people are, are bound to their past, defined by their past, their past failures, their past mistakes. What the Holy Spirit wants to do is say, that's not who you are. You're free from your past. You're free now to face your future. Galatians says God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us, to set us free of the past, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. That's one of the most important phrases in the Bible, Abba, Father. Abba, the Hebrew word for daddy. Daddy. It's, it's daddy, father. Daddy, father. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Let me say it like this. What you call God determines your closeness to him. Like when you pray, how you refer to God reveals your closeness to him. For example, if somebody calls me on the phone and they say, can I speak to Mr. Jane? I know that they don't know me at all. Like they don't have a relationship with me because people who know me don't call me Mr. Jane. If somebody calls and says, can I talk to Pastor Aaron? Then they know who I am at least. Like they know what I do. They know my job. They know who I am. If they call and say, can I talk to Aaron? Then they're probably somebody that has some level of relationship with me. But if they're an eight-year-old boy that lives in my house and says, Daddy, then I know he has a relationship with me that's intimate, that's close, that he knows me. What do you call God? See, the power of being friends with the Holy Spirit is, he, is he, he helps you relate to God. It's not just Heavenly Father, distant being in the sky that I'm trying to really hard to please and work for. The Holy Spirit helps you relate to Him as Daddy. You're my dad. You're my father. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't want to be your religion. He wants to be your dad. God never set out to build a religion. He, he set out to build a family. And, and when you begin to relate to Him as Father, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and helps you relate to Him as Dad... Now you are no longer a slave. You're not bound to your past. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by mistakes and failures of yesterday, but you're God's own child. The last area of power is power to evangelize, which is simply letting people know about Jesus. It says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, in the Greek, this is a very different phrase than the Holy Spirit comes in you. At salvation, the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you. Like, so if you, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. This is talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. It's a completely different experience. We're going to talk about this next week and, and what that looks like and what it means and what it does. But it's a different experience of power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. We have this mandate as followers of Jesus to tell people everywhere, tell people at work. And I'm not talking in this obnoxious, you know, turn people off offensive way. I'm talking about being the light of Christ in our workplace, being the light of Christ in our community, being the light of Christ in our home. And there's power. And one of the greatest reflections of that verse in the Bible is Peter. Because again, Peter spent three years with Jesus being personally discipled and mentored. And after three years of one-on-one -on -one discipleship with Jesus himself, Peter had a cussing problem. He had an anger problem. He tried to cut somebody's head off. He, he, he had a fear problem. He couldn't even admit he knew Jesus to a little girl. Soon as the Holy Spirit came upon him, 
He preached to 20,000 people boldly, publicly, and 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to give us power to evangelize. That power manifests oftentimes in the form of spiritual gifts. Now, let me explain this. We all have natural gifts. There's things that you just naturally do well. But there are also supernatural gifts that God wants to give you, and that's where power is required. You need power to do the supernatural. Supernatural is beyond your natural ability. It's spiritual gifts. It's, it's the gift of healing, like to pray for somebody to be supernaturally healed. That is a supernatural gift of power that God gives, and he gives us gifts for us to love people, serve people, bring people to Christ, share Christ with people. That's why we have the, these gifts of power, the gift of faith, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge. One of my favorite stories is Pastor Robert Morris, one of my friends and pastors and really mentored and helped our church a lot. Uh, he tells a story. He was at the mall one day, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gave him the gift of knowledge. Like, knowledge is when the Holy Spirit tells you something about somebody that there's no way you could have known because oftentimes you have no idea who the person is. You've never seen them before. And that was the case. He was in the mall, and there's this giant bodybuilder in the food court with his wife. I mean, this guy was huge. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gave him a message for the guy. And he's like, I don't want to talk to that guy. I mean, that guy is huge. He's intimidating. He's mean looking. And, and if this isn't you, if this is like, if I'm just making this up in my mind and I'm not hearing you clearly, I'm going uh, you know, to make this guy mad, which I don't want to do. But you know, he, he, you know he, he'd heard that voice before, and he acted on the voice before, and he, he learned to, to trust and kind of take a step out in faith and, and be led. So, so he goes up to this guy, and he breaks the ice, and he goes, look, I don't want to be weird or some freak or anything, but, but God told me to come over here and give you a message. You know, it would be all right if I gave you a message. And he sits down, and he says, God told me to come tell you he kept his end of the deal. Now, that's not something he could have created on his own. I mean, that is a super, that is power. That is power because that is supernatural. That's beyond natural. He had never seen this guy before. He had no idea what this message meant. He didn't just pull this out of thin air. And, and the guy is not saying anything. He's just staring at him. And he's thinking, I just offended this guy. This wasn't God at all. This guy's going to kill me. Like, what did I just get myself into? And then all of a sudden, this bodybuilder burst into tears and began to cry. He said, when I was a child, I was bullied a lot and picked on a lot and beat up a lot. He goes, one day I was at a playground and some kids beat me up and I ran home to my grandma's house. And my grandma, you know, had me sitting in her lap and she prayed with me. And she said, if you'll pray to Jesus, Jesus will make you strong like Samson in the Bible. He says, that day I sat on my grandma's lap and I, and I prayed, God, if you'll make me strong like Samson, I'll serve you and I'll give you my life. He goes, when we were driving to the mall today, I told my wife that story. I never told her that before. When we were walking into the mall, I looked at my wife and I told my wife, I never kept my end of the deal. And then all of a sudden, God sends a stranger in his path to basically let him know, I love you. I haven't forgotten about you. I haven't forgotten about our agreement. I want you. It's not too late to give your life to me and serve me. That's the power. God gives us these gifts so we can love, so we can serve, so we can bring people to Christ. That's what it's all about. Here's another benefit of, of our friendship. He grows his fruit in our life. Galatians says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And let me make this absolutely clear. This is what the Holy Spirit produces. This is not works of our flesh. This is not stuff we can manufacture through a self-help book. This is stuff the Holy Spirit grows 
in our life that can only happen out of... Now, now the world has a version of all of these things. The world has diet love and diet joy and diet peace and diet patience, but it's hollow. It falls short. It doesn't fulfill. It, It misses the mark every single time. The Holy Spirit has love that does not fail. It's solid. There's no hollowness about it at all. Joy, peace. That's why Paul on death row can say, I have peace that doesn't You know, the human mind can't comprehend because the peace that I have wasn't given to me through prescription pills or through meditation or seeing a therapist. But I got peace that comes from God and it is supernatural and I can stand here in the face of death. Can I just say you need this fruit in your life, especially if you're married. If if you're married, you need the fruit of spirit, love and gentleness and kindness in your marriage. Not the world's version of learning how to communicate, but a real fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're a parent, you need the fruit patience and the fruit self-control in your parenting. I mean, these are things we desperately need. And in an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, these become so evident and so real and so natural because he grows them in our life. Now, let me get to the fifth benefit my top five, again, there's more. But can I say, this? to me, this one is number one. It's the hardest one for Christians to understand. It's the hardest one for Christians to accept. But without a doubt, this is the number one benefit of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing He can do in your life is this. He will convict us of righteousness. That is the greatest thing the Holy Spirit can do for you today. Is convict you of your right. And this is the hardest thing for Christians to accept. See, here's the thing. Most of us have been taught the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Like the Holy Spirit, you know, you you mess up, you do something wrong, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of your sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to convict you of your sin because God gave you a conscience and God is not into redundancy. You know, your conscience tells you when you blow it. You don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you you messed up. You know you messed up. In fact, when you study scripture, I'm going to show it to you right now. The Holy Spirit only convicts of one sin, singular, not plural. Look at this with me. And when he comes, here's the three convictions of the Holy Spirit. I've outlined it for you. Number one, he will convict the world of its sin. That's the first thing he does is he convicts the world of its sin. Number two, of God's righteousness. And number three, of the coming judgment. Three convictions of the Holy Spirit. The next verse, he explains it. The world's sin. Now, now look at this. Sin in the Greek here is singular, not plural. This is not the sin of drug addiction. It's not the sin of murder. It's not the sin of adultery. This is one specific sin to one specific group of people, to the world, which means unbelievers, people who have not given their life to Jesus Christ. People that are not in relationship with Jesus, they're not Christians, they're not born again. There's only one sin the Holy Spirit convicts them of, and it's the sin of not believing in Jesus. And the only reason he convicts them of that sin is so that they'll give their heart and their life to Jesus. He doesn't convict them of drug addiction. He doesn't convict them of any. That's their conscience. The Holy Spirit convicts them that you don't know Jesus. And he does that because he loves people and he wants them to give their heart and their life to Jesus. And we see this happen every Sunday here. Every Sunday in our audience, the Holy Spirit, and even today at this service, the Holy Spirit will do it. The Holy Spirit will convict people sitting here today that you are not in a relationship with Jesus and you need to give your life to Jesus. And he does that because he loves you. 
Then the second conviction, he explains, is for Christians. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. The third, judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged, meaning Satan has been judged. It is finished. He's defeated. That's what that's talking about. But let's talk about this righteousness is available. Righteousness available. One of the greatest things the Holy Spirit does is convict us of our righteousness. Because that's the hardest thing for Christians to accept. And the reason is because we're focused on us. We're focused on our performance, our behavior, what we did or didn't do. And this is a major issue. And I, I, if, if I took a survey today and asked you to raise your hand, over half of the room would raise their hand that they struggle with this. I talked to a doctor in our church just the other day who, who's a great man, great family man, great father, great husband, great career. And he says, I still struggle with not being good enough for God. I struggle that I'm not good enough, like I'm not doing enough for God. I'm not, I'm not living enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not... Uh, and so many people struggle with that. They struggle with not feeling worthy, not feeling righteous, not feeling good enough. And the reason you struggle with that is because your eyes are on you instead of on what Jesus has done. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is convict you that you are righteous. And righteousness in the Bible is a noun, not a verb. I grew up in a church that taught me that I had to do righteousness to be righteous. Like I had to be a really, really good person to be accepted by God. And there's nothing further from the truth. I have to accept righteousness. I am righteous. It, it is actually my last name as a believer. When you are born again, you are given God's last name. Just like when you were born on earth, you were given the last name of your family. Right. I mean, I mean, none of you parents put your kids in like a probation period. Like if you had a girl like three year probation, boys get a five year probation. And we're just going to see how this thing works out before we give you the family name. Like we need to, you know, I, I need to, you know, I need to make sure you got this down before you're getting the family name because you need to earn the family name. Like you're not just going to get it for free. I need to know this relationship's going to work out a little bit. So we're going to give you a little. Any parents do that? No. We don't do that. When we have a child, they get our last name by birth, not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, not because they worked for it, not because of their behavior or their performance. They get it by birth. When you are born again into Christ, you are given a last name at birth, and that last name is righteous. And you are not righteous because you live really good and you work really hard and you obey really well. You're righteous because Jesus did. Jesus did all of that for you, and it makes you righteous. So what I want to do as we close, I want to share with you the theology of two substitutions. The theology of two substitutions, because what many Christians don't understand, because again, so many Christians struggle with this. Many of you struggle with this. Many of you still to this day struggle with not feeling good enough, like, like I'm not good enough for God. I'm not doing enough for God. God's not happy with me. You know, somehow I'm displeasing God, and, and somehow God is disappointed with me, and I'm, I'm not worthy, and you know, I need to try harder, and so many people struggle with that, again, because your eyes are on you and not on Christ. Because you don't understand the theology of two substitutions. On the cross, two substitutions occurred. Two things were substituted. Unfortunately, most Christians have only accepted one. They only understand one. They only get half of what Jesus accomplished instead of receiving the second half, which he died the same death to give you. Let's look at this in Scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. 
They are righteous. They're no longer the old sinner they used to be. They're now a new creation, righteous. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Reconcile is an accounting term. It means to bring the balance to zero, to to balance the statement, to reconcile it. God reconciled. He, He brought our balance to zero through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants us to go help other people understand this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And here's what the definition of reconciliation means to God. Not counting people's sins against them. Can I just say that's the best news you've heard all week? That's the best news you've heard all week, that God is not counting your sins against you. That's why you can be righteous. That's why it's not about you not feeling good enough and because you didn't do it, because God's not counting your sins against you. Why? Because he's counting your sins against Christ. He took all of the sins you ever will commit, past, present, and future, and he counted them against Jesus on the cross so that you can be a new creation and you can be righteous. He is not counting your sin against you. So it, so it doesn't matter how you, like, I don't feel good. I don't feel like I'm doing enough. doesn't matter. He's not counting it against you. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let God cancel out your slate. Let God ba- give you a zero balance. Let God not count your sins against you. And I'm going to ask some of you to do that at the end of the service today, that you would allow God today to give you a zero balance. You would allow God today to not count your sin against you by saying yes to Jesus. Now, here's the verse, the theology of two substitutions. Let me show it to you very clear in Scripture. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. There's the first substitution. Jesus took our place. Jesus, we were guilty. We were the ones that sinned. We were the ones that deserved to die and deserved to hang on a cross. Jesus was perfect. He had never sinned. And yet Jesus substituted in our place. Jesus took our place. Here's the second substitution. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the second substitution. So in other words, God treated Jesus the way we deserve to be treated so that God can now treat us the way Jesus deserves to be treated. That's the second substitution. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have accepted forgiveness of their sins, but they haven't accepted righteousness. The same God that gives you forgiveness is the same God that wants to give you righteousness. He wants to treat you the way Jesus deserves to be treated. Let me illustrate it like this. It's as if you get a presidential pardon. You're in prison for the rest of your life. You have no hope for parole. And all of a sudden, you get a presidential pardon and you're free to go. Can you imagine the feeling of that? Imagine the feeling of that freedom, no longer in prison. That's half of what Jesus did on the cross. That's only half of it. And the shame is most Christians have only accepted the first half. They haven't accepted the second half. What's the second half? Imagine sitting at the Olympics and Michael Phelps just wins his 79th or you know, 80, however many medals he's won now. It's hard to keep track. He wins another gold medal. And all of a sudden, they call you to the stand. And you're standing on this podium and they come out and they take the gold medal that Michael Phelps just won and they put it around your neck. 
and you're thinking, wait a second, no, 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 no. I didn't swim. I wasn't in the pool. I didn't earn this. He earned it. Why are you giving me the medal? I don't deserve this medal. I didn't earn this medal. I didn't win the race. He won the race. That's what God does. Jesus won the gold medal. Jesus swam the race perfectly. He won. He defeated everything. And God now takes the gold medal that Jesus won and he puts it around our neck. And we are now worthy and we are now righteous, not because we're good people, not because of our behavior, not because we obey really well, not because we get it right every time. We're worthy and righteous because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Because none of us will ever be good enough. If, if it was about being good enough, all of us would be in trouble. You'll never be good enough. The good news is you don't have to be good enough. You simply get to wear a gold medal around your neck that Jesus won, which makes you righteous. And it's important for you to understand this because the more you believe that you're righteous, the more your heart will change, your desires will change in your life. The more you try, the harder it's going to be. You got to have the right beliefs. I love this one. For we know how dearly God loves us. Why do we know how much God loves us? Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love, to let us know that we are righteous. He wants to convince you. I am convinced that two plus two equals four. You're not going to change my mind. I'm convinced. Two plus two equals four. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to convince you, convict you that you are righteous regardless of your performance, regardless of what you did last night or last week or what you didn't do. You're not righteous because of you. It was never about you. It was always about Jesus. And this is so important, especially for your prayer life, especially during the season of 21 days of prayer, because if you don't know that you're worthy and you don't know that you're righteous, and if, if you don't know that you're good enough, you're not going to pray boldly. You're going to come before God timid. You're going to come before God. God, I don't, I don't really think God's going to answer my prayer right now because I blew it this week. I said something I shouldn't have said. I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. I, I did something. I, I mean, God, I just need to start over next week because God's really not going to hear me this week. See, if you live that way, then you're focusing on yourself instead of on Jesus. You have to understand that you're righteous, not because of what you did this week. You're righteous because of what Jesus did before, for you. And when you're righteous, you can be bold. That's why Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne. See, you can walk into the presence of God boldly, asking God to show up, praying, believing God to do great things. Not because you're a good person, not because you obeyed really well. You can come boldly into the presence of God like you belong there because you do. Because you've got a gold medal around your neck. Yeah, I know you didn't earn it. I know you weren't in the pool. Doesn't matter. You still got the gold medal around your neck. All God can see is the gold medal. He can't see your performance. All he sees is the gold medal. He just knows you're righteous because you got this gold medal around your neck. Stop trying to earn it. You don't have to compete in the race. Jesus already did it. Have you ever seen a, a grandchild walk into his grandfather's office? He doesn't walk into his grandfather's office timid, like, I wonder whether or not I'll be accepted. I wonder whether or not I belong. When a grandchild walks into his granddad's, he walks in there like he owns the place. He walks in there like he's running the company. Like, I'm in charge. Here I am. World, look at me. That's the way a grandchild acts, right? That's the way God wants you to come to him in your time of prayer. And some of you, right now, you don't think you can because of you. 
You don't think you can pray like that. You don't think you can walk into the presence of God. God, I need you to show up. And, and God, you know, come on. You think, no, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. Well, of course you're not good enough. But the fact is you've got a gold medal around your neck, so you've got a right to do it. You've got a right to come into God and say, God, I need you. God, show up. God, I am your child, and I'm righteous. Look at the gold medal. I'm wearing it. And it has nothing to do with whether or not you earned it or not. It has everything to do with whether Jesus earned it. There's not one sin you can commit to tarnish the grace of Jesus. I hope you know that. Because so many of you, and see, again, this is the lie of Satan. Satan wants you to believe you're not good enough for God. Satan wants you to believe you failed. Satan wants you to believe God's not going to listen to you. Satan wants you to believe God's not hearing you. Get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Christ. You have a gold medal around your neck. That's all that matters. Just tell Satan, Satan, that may be true. I, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm not denying that fact. But guess what? I got a gold medal on, which means I can go to the Father anytime I want to. I know you're trying to make me feel like I can. I know you're trying to make me feel like I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough and, and God doesn't accept me. But look at the gold medal that Jesus put around my neck. This gives me access. I know I don't deserve it. I just got favor. I got a gold medal. And I want you to live that way. So here's what I pray every day of my life. Holy Spirit, convict me. This is one of the, he wants to do this more than anything in your life. Convict me of my righteousness in Christ Jesus today. I'm telling you, pray that every day of your life. Pray that every day of your life, it'll be the most powerful prayer you'll ever pray. The most powerful prayer you'll ever pray. Because he'll do it. And the more you allow him to convince you of your righteousness, the more you'll change. The more you'll change. It's not that you won't want to sin anymore. It's that you won't want to want to sin anymore. Your appetites change. Your desires change. When you accept who you are, it changes the way you live your life. I'm telling you, this is the key. I had major addictions in my life for years. I tried everything. I tried working hard and praying and fasting and reading my Bible more. And all it did was make it worse and worse and worse. The harder I tried, the worse the addiction got. The darker it got. When I finally gave up trying and said, you know what? I'm just going to accept what Jesus has done for me. My heart began to transform. I began to change. I began to have power that I never had before. My, my appetites and my desires began to change. It wasn't that I had to stop myself from doing it. It was that I began to lose the appetite for it. I didn't want to do those things anymore. Because I began to realize I'm righteous. I'm worthy. I'm accepted. I'm a child of God. I'm wearing a gold medal around my neck. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Before we leave today, I want to talk to those of you. And I'm not going to take a long time. But for those of you that... The Holy Spirit is convicting you right now that you're not in a relationship with Jesus. He's convicting you. I want to invite you to begin a relationship with Jesus today. It'll be the greatest decision you'll ever make. And those of you, you know whether that's you or not because you feel it. Like the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you feel kind of like, like this awkwardness in your heart or like a tugging at your heart or or this, this compulsion that you need to surrender your life to Jesus today. That's the Holy Spirit, and He's doing it because He loves you. And here's the thing. All of these incredible benefits about having the Holy Spirit in your life, they don't happen without this step. You can't have any of those incredible benefits without 
inviting Jesus to be the Lord of your life. That is step one. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to convict you of that. Because he wants to do all this stuff in your life, but he can't do it until you invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And so if you're here today and you'd like to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, surrender your life to Jesus today. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front. I won't even ask you to, to pray out loud. This is kind of a heart prayer between you and God. But if you're here with every eye closed, nobody looking around, and you would say, you know what, it's time for me to truly give my life to Jesus. And, and the good news is you just heard that it has nothing to do with you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be a good person. You just have to give your life to Jesus and accept what he did for you. And when you do that, this beautiful transformation begins in your life. So if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus with no one looking around and you'd like to, to pray with me very quickly, what I would like you to do so I know who I'm praying with, just very quickly slip up your hand and then put it back down so I know who I'm praying with. Right now, slip up your hand and then put it back down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate those hands. Thank you. Here's the prayer. Right now, in your heart, say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I invite you to be my Lord. Forgive me for all the times I've missed it. Thank you for forgiving me. And now, Father, thank you that you will not count my sin against me. Thank you that you will not count my past against me. In the name of Jesus.